<laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Cool, 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 cool. We haven't done a podcast in a while. And so I had this like slight hesitation and anxiety before I hit the record button. I was like, I forgot how to what do are we this. doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you've taken like a month off work and then you have to go back to work and you're like, how do we do that again? Mm. But then it all just falls into place. Yeah. It is nice when you are like, if you can somehow manage to take a good chunk of time off work and then not have any kind of anxiety about going back until the day of, that's pretty impressive. Is it impressive or are you numb? Because I feel like everybody has that slight anxiety going back to work. Yeah, but wouldn't you just prefer to like enjoy every moment of the whole entire holidays until the day you're like back at work? Yeah, you don't want to be feeling, if you're feeling that like two weeks before you go back to work, that like you, you, there's a problem there. I think you got to learn to compartmentalize a little. But I think most people do really struggle to, to compartmentalize their like work to rest ratio. I think that's what that Sunday ick feeling is. You know, people are like, oh, I've got the Sunday ick. That's the whole like anxiety pre-Monday. Mm. That's that. That's what that is. Yeah, well, there's, I guess, a, a definite reason why the, it's biblical to have a whole day of rest. Like they, <laughs> they've been saying that for thousands and thousands of years. You, needed, you need a whole day where you just like, no, nah, this is my day of rest. I'm doing nothing today before the whole week starts again. But finding finding out how to actually do a proper rest where you can just empty your mind it can be can be difficult. Um, You're making church sound real appealing. <laughs> I feel like that's like been my mission for the last year to try and make it sound appealing. Yet, like I'm also being a hypocrite because I never go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we started a church, uh, you know. Look, I'm happy to be the that cult leader. <laughs> I saw a TikTok and it was like he went up to someone in a supermarket and he was like, what do you call a group of people that are stuck on the same book for like years? And my thought was cult. Uh-huh. And, the, and the answer was a church. And I was like, oh, <laughs> same, same, but different. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast, but I, I always find it interesting the word cult and how the fact that like cult and culture like people are happy to accept like their culture as a whole as like Mm -hmm. a a country Mm -hmm. but as soon as you say like they belong to some kind of religious like Mm -hmm. ethos or they have some kind of other spiritual idea they're immediately like you're part of a cult i was like no aren't we all being cultured by everything we're a part of like you're You've got like microcosms of cults going on all the time. And if anything, it's probably healthier to be part of a larger norm with a whole host of viewpoints that can actually relate to each other and guide each other from a basis of reality. So that way you can talk from the same point of view and and like you'll get more done that way. Um, Yeah, we've gone a bit Hayward in general as a society with like when you said cult, I immediately thought of and culture, coffee, like we are and and binge drinking in Australia especially. Mm. It's part of our culture, <laughs> yeah, to just drink all the fucking time or to like have multiple coffees a day. Like that's cultish. That's you know? so true, Australians. If you're not drunk, you're stimulated. Yeah, <laughs> we just have this addiction to being either heightened or lowered. 
and that, that's part of our culture. It's like a, it is, um, it's kind of, it makes me think of like sacrificing a lamb to the gods. Like it's just something we continually do every day to reach this sort of, this particular feeling, which is part of what, you know, praying and meditating and, and things like that also does. Yeah, it is. I can't, I, it, I, I've never paid much thought into like what our own cultural things are as a, like a country. Like it's interesting to think about like barbecues and thongs and swimming and beaches. Um, and obviously like we try and combine all those things together with coffee and alcohol. Mm. <laughs> like you're either the morning guy who's out surfing, having a nice latte, mm crushing it on the waves or you're the guy who's on Australia Day with his flag laying on the beach getting mm. a tan with his million kids running around short pants thongs beer in hand and I, I feel like our, our culture is I saw that picture perfectly I feel like <laughs> our culture is so is so disrupted and sad and all over the shop because we are a mixture of a million different cultures which is fantastic but we're a bit lost like our we don't have an overarching um, culture anymore. It's just like we're, we're trying to take little bits and pieces from here and there in order to find what makes us feel good or what is like a right way for us to f- live. Mm. And we're, yeah, well, lost is the, the term that comes to mind. Well, that paints a pretty bleak picture. <laughs> it's, it doesn't have to be sad. I think it's just a reality Like. We, I feel like as a, as a whole, we are, no matter what age, unless you're a part of, you know, ha- have this like higher meaning behind you, we're just like teenagers trying to find our way. Mm. And we, we get so distracted by things like material objects, by what we believe, things we believe we have to have or achievements we believe we have to do, but we forget what's actually important not just to us personally, but as a human being, like community and not just like a broader community and contributing to that broader community, but also just family in general. We get we do get caught up in like hurt and fear and all these things and it takes us away from instead of like returning back to love and learning how to return back to love, we kind of just use the fear and hurt to segregate ourselves from family and from everything that actually is important, which at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm going down a bleak path again. I think it's just my thing. Um, but at the end of the day, when you see yourself on your deathbed, what will you look back at your life and think, I'm really glad that I did that? And what will you look back and think that actually, you know what, in hindsight, that was a waste of time. I really wish I hadn't got caught up on trying to own a million houses or have like a super rich mansion or like those kinds of things. At the end of the day, what you're going to be thinking about is who is around your bedside and the love that you have shared with that those people and what you have created for these people, for this like legacy, I suppose, and how much love is around you, in my opinion. I agree with all of that. I was just trying the whole time to think, what does this have to do with the culture thing we start, said at the start? I guess like in some some sense you're pointing like a – almost a shift away from like the park barbecue culture that we like maybe our parents generation had that like that was more their thing right how often do you see like people really utilizing parks well anymore 
Yeah, not the kinds of people you want to hang out with. Well, yeah. Oh, you know who do do it well? What? And you, you got to be in the right zone, like at, at, like living space to kind of um, see it. But islanders utilize parks so good. Okay, great example because they are they have stuck to the traditional values of their culture. And if they haven't stuck to the traditional values of their culture, they've stuck to a religious culture, which brings it, which is kind of where I was going. And I'm sure someone is going to be following along with me, <laughs> but at least one person, please. But they've got that overarching theme, the higher meaning of family, mm. which the higher meaning to that is love. And mm. just being surrounded by people and that being something that they continually show up for, come back to and remember as important is what allows them to not feel so lost and feel good. Yeah, I agree. A, a lot of those guys also, um, they tend to come from a slightly more lower socioeconomic backgrounds because they're foreign to Australia and so when they move here, they all like tend to live a bit more communally to lower costs. They also like, it's hard to get decent jobs. They work average paying jobs. But when you consider how much tax they're having to pay because they might be foreign, um, it means that like your activities that you do um, have to be more affordable. Um, but it also means grouping together makes things more affordable um and you're also going to have a lot more fun doing those kinds of things um and it is it is a beautiful thing because it's like this way that all these people that might be you might be considered um to most people's eyes as less fortunate in some mm -hmm. sense but really they're rich they're they're so much richer in culture mm. right and their culture is like bringing them this sense of purpose mm -hmm. and like they're working harder jobs than everyone else mm -hmm. and yet they're so happy they're so they're happy. so happy like most of the time those guys are so happy like I, I can't remember the last time I spoke to like an islander and I I just didn't feel warm after yeah the only time I remember speaking to a guy and he he felt a bit torn and the reason he felt torn is because he had, like, you know, expectations from his family and he wanted these other expectations, which is kind of uh, one of these other, I guess, ideas for himself and for his life. And that's kind of where that's the culture shift. That's what happens when you have kids in Australia and you're from another country or you bring your kids to Australia. You have expectations for your own culture to carry on, but your kids, they grow up in a completely different society. And so they see the values from the society that they've grown up in. And mm -hmm. they're like, well, maybe I want that instead, which is okay. But at the end of the day, I like what where we were going with, you know, how rich they are, even though it looks like they might be poorer because they are having like barbecues in the park and things like that. They're always spending time with their family rather than going out and spending money and things like that, which is the whole idea of abundance. Abundance isn't just like financial wealth. Abundance is like I'm abundant in love. I'm abundant in community. I'm abundant in purpose. I have I may not have all these things that are material, but I have all these other things like connection that make me feel so happy and abundant. And I, I, I really do think that's where people in our 
culture and society get a little bit lost is they forget that that's actually so key, regardless of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, regardless of what you label yourself as, that's something that is so core to the human experience. You cannot negate that. I agree. I like a good measurement of how uh, wealthy you are in your social dynamic. Like just think to yourself right now, if I needed help moving, could I call someone up same day and you'd have someone show up then and there to get your butt out of wherever you need to be and where to be and like where's the next spot? Mm. Like if you can think of like a couple people like that, Mm. like those people are what bring you so much richness to your life Mm. and just foster that relationship with those people because those people are loyal, they're dependable and they might have different viewpoints to you but they they're like just find a way to keep common ground with them and 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 you guys will grow together for sure Mm. um but yeah like you want to have a support structure you can lean on that's just outside of your the 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 immediate family like your mum, your dad your brother your sister like if you can have those with also your cousins um like that's amazing and that's where islanders do that so well because they have cousins they have friends they have they all go to the same church they see each other every sunday they catch up every sunday and then they do all these activities outdoors they play volleyball together like you always see them playing volleyball they're so good at volleyball they (laughs) sing together everyone can sing they dance well like and and again all those things are like things that you would point to as culture they they eat like a certain food and it's just it's so cool but it is the the unique core of it is they're always coming together Mm. and that's what makes it so special and i i agree with you in that tangent you kind of went on before is in a lot of like our, I guess, Australian um, households or traditional Australian households, which you couldn't even call them traditional anymore because they've moved away so much from that that like kind of sense of community. Mm. Um, but you and I are very fortunate in the fact that we do have like several different friend groups and um, we work very hard to like make sure we come together all together and everyone like really values the relationships they have within it. Um, Regardless of if our viewpoints are different, yeah. which is what I was thinking about when you were talking about Islanders as well. They all come, there's so many people that come together, families, aunties, uncles, cousins, even like, like friends that are a part of that, that group. And that's what, that's why you and we have so many friends Mm. is because I think our society and when we forget about the importance of love and connection is when someone hurts us because they have a different political viewpoint or like we feel hurt because they don't believe in what we believe in, our immediate reaction is to separate from that person, is to just like cut them off, which is just not what you, that's not what you do in community. You allow each other to have different viewpoints and you you look for ways to love that person and that person looks for ways to love you and that's where you regardless of what you believe or what you think or what you feel that's it's so tight-knit that person has your back no matter what yeah Mm. I, i think what you're pointing out there also by looking for common ground that's you building the culture within that relationship right like if you can find more common ground then you have more culture between you um and i would like you're gonna really struggle in some sense if your friends have 
too much extreme viewpoints from yourself as well. So you got to be careful of that as well. And I think that's also why like the richness of, of um, like your, your church going Islanders, but you've also got like other religions that do that too. But their richness is the fact that they have a very strong commonality because they don't separate on too many viewpoints. And I think like, obviously I don't want to like promote separating yourself from others, but I also think it's, um, it is important to try and find some shared belief systems um, I, as as well. I think it's at the end of the day, it's shared values. And at the core of it, if you like, if you keep asking, and this is kind of like a, a life coaching NLP practice, if you have uh, something that you really believe in and you ask, okay, well, well, why is that? Why do you believe in that? And you keep asking why and why and why. At the end of the day, it gets up to a higher purpose, which is like, you might believe that because you really value love and you really value connection or you really value fulfillment or things like that and so if you if you come across someone who has a really extreme viewpoint but the reason they have that viewpoint is not out of love but you really value love and connection and community and family then there's probably a good chance that you guys are not going to connect at all that person doesn't have any love to give Mm. yeah i see what you mean there that's interesting we've gone we also had something we really wanted to, or a couple things we really wanted to talk about, but we went on a fun tangent, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was that was um, definitely <laughs> didn't expect to go that direction. But. Yeah, but uh, speaking of, it kind of ties in because I wanted to talk about this separation, almost of relationships and like traditional relationships versus like modern relationships. You originally coined it when we were having our coffee. You were discussing how, um, like, women are trying to remove their dependence on men in relationships and gain their own independence. Yeah. Um, which was a really interesting point that you you, you pointed out. Yeah. Uh, and I replied to you with, I always like to think of what is the full extension of that if you were to follow it down the line and think about, like, what is the ramifications later? Mm. And if you f- follow that to its furthest extension, if everyone is seeking some kind of independence within their relationship from a safety standpoint, whether it's between like a guy and a girl or a guy and a guy or whatever your relationship circumstance is, it doesn't even have to be like you, you're dating this person or married to this person. You could be just friends with this person. But if you're always holding on to some kind of independence within that relationship for safety, mm. um, you're giving yourself a no opportunity to grow because you're always in this like place of no risk, mm. right? And so we, we're kind of in this situation where for Ashley, she has to rely on me a lot. Um, but I also rely on her for so much to keep the rest of my life together. Mm. But it's a scary place for you to think about having me as like the predominant financial um, home um, supporter. Right, um, which is a tough thing to uh, give up. Mm. It places you in, in some sense, a vulnerable position, mm. and so people are trying to hide their vulnerability with each other by being like, "No, I'm, I'm. We're both going to be career people. We're both going to have completely separate lives." Mm-hmm. Right, Luke, Luke, my work colleague, said to me 
which was like a really powerful moment and it stuck with me. He was like, when he got the, he, he recently got this new job and he said to me, I feel like I'm living two lives by working here because none of you know my family. Like you can't see them all the time. And mm-hmm. so I'm living like a work life that's different to my home life. And he was like kind of just alluding to how he wants to bring that all together. And in my head, I was always like, I never saw that as a problem with to me. I was like, no, my work life is my work life. My home life is my home life. And then I was like, also in my head, I was like, and I also have this friend group that's like its own thing. And then I have a whole nother friend group than its own thing. I was like, God damn, how many lives am I actually trying to live here? Which is so weird to think about because I'd never considered that. And not that it means it is a problem, but I never thought of it as like, could that possibly be hindering myself from, um, having like a almost like a more sense of peace in some way like what if all of these things were just became one right and I just had like kind of a one but it'll make more sense when we have a family and start having kids that you kind of bring those things into one and you try and make them as close together as possible Mm -hmm. because it creates a bigger bigger support system for yourself Mm -hmm. um but yeah I was like what is the value in trying to reduce the amount of splits in your life you make how does this apply to what we're talking about? So um, having an independence within your relationships, right? Like so in... Oh, in, keeping everything separate. I kind it, of see where you're going with that. Yeah, so like instead of splicing everything into separate things, like if one friend group blows up, then I've got this other friend group to, to move to, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of... It removes the richness in some sense, of the relationship we already have. So you and I, we have a really, really rich relationship. Mm. But we have a rich relationship because there's so much vulnerability there. Yeah. We rely on each other. Yeah. And by relying on each other allows us to have this really, really strong passion in our relationship yeah. because we're effectively one being. Mm. And unfortunately, as we're like this, this, in some sense, what we were alluding to at our coffee date, the feminist movement where it's like, Go out, get your own independence, be an independent woman, go for the career. You're the career woman, right? But you're removing the sacredness and the balance that is really beautiful within a relationship is you should both have some kind of vulnerability and responsibility for each other. Yeah. I do want to, and I do want to say this too, because I understand how important that and Chaz knows this as well, how important the movement was for women to get certain freedoms and to have that freedom of choice. Like it's cool that we get to choose whether we have a career and and we actually get to make money and we actually get a say in how the country goes and and things like that. Um, But it does, every ideology has an extreme and where for the most part where I'm seeing this independent boss babe, hustler woman idea coming from is this fear or this past hurt that this person is going to leave me. It's not safe to be in this position. I can't leave if this person hurts me or this person, you know, I can't rely on this person anymore if they make decisions that go down the toilet. That's where that's where it all comes that's where it all goes wrong in my opinion. Like you have you do have to remember you're a team and 
I guess that's probably like a, a part where people who are single, they're, stress, they're stressing about like picking the right person who they can rely on. But the truth of the matter is you just have to, you have to take a leap of faith. You have to trust that it's going to work out. And at the end of the day, if it isn't going to work out, no, like you can't tell how the future is going to go. You have to trust that no matter how shit goes, you have your own back. Mm. It doesn't matter. Like, but don't prepare for the worst to happen. Like, in preparing for the worst to happen, you are inevitably going to create the worst case scenario. So for me, that was like, I was stressing myself out a lot with work and I was trying to do a million and one different things because I was like, I have to support myself financially because if shit goes wrong, I need to be able to support myself and get out of here. At the end of the day, I can get myself another job if shit was to hit the fan. Mm. Does that mean I like need to get another job right now? No. And there's like, a there is... I did have to surrender that feeling a lot and there was a lot of fear and hurt there. Like, I guess we, like a lot of our, not a lot of our parents, but most of our parents have had some sort of separation or some sort of issue in the past. And for me, that was so big within my life that I was scared to rely on you financially. But what were you going to say? Oh, just ironically how like both your parents are probably earning more money than ever they ever have right now. Yeah. Which like, so it just goes to show that it's not true in some sense that like you you can um, end up separating and because even though one of you was relying on the other, you can end up... It work, can work out yeah, better than before. It can work before. out better than before anyway, right? Yeah. Like it, so it's like there's no reason to be scared of that vulnerability. Yeah. And I think it will be, it can end up being a bit of a demise for your for your relationship. And that's not to say like dependent on your relationship whoever I'm talking to right now that's not to say if you are the person who is if you're a woman and you are really career driven and your partner is not career driven and they want to be like the stay-at-home dad that's okay too what I'm and we're trying to point out is there is polarity in relationships and the best way I can bring it back to that that people will try to understand if they are like present enough in their sex lives is sex you can't have two people that are dominant, that are both extremely dominant in the bedroom. Or you can't have two people that are completely submissive in the bedroom because what ends up happening, if you're, if you're both too dominant, people, it's a power struggle. that You're trying to control each other. You're going to get frustrated and you're not going to want to end up actually having sex. If you're both submissive, shit's never going to happen. There's, so, and it doesn't mean that like one partner is dominant all the time and one person is submissive all the time. And there's nothing wrong with those words either. Don't like, don't put a meaning to there's, you know, oh, if you're submissive, then you just have to do whatever the other person says. That's like, <laughs> that's a meaning you put to the word. But there is a dance, there is an ebb and a flow that occurs within the bedroom, which is the same within relationships. Mm. There is an ebb and a flow. And I guess I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but it's a great rant. I'm reading about, I'm reading this book called Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. And she talks about this kind of idea. And she gives us examples of there's a um, a man and a woman in a relationship and the guy is like type A, he's always hustling, he's always working, he's always in control and he's always taking action in his in everyday life except for in the bedroom. He really enjoys when his partner takes control. So that's because he's always like taking action and control in his daily life. And that there's also an example of a woman who does who does a very similar thing. She likes being submissive in, in her everyday life, but she likes being dominant in the bedroom. And that's not always going to be the case, but 
this is where I guess um, ego kind of drops out of the dominance and the submission and when you realize there's actually nothing wrong with either or. People can enjoy both. Yeah, I thought what was really interesting there when you were saying that is the fact that people can have a dominant and a submissive tendency in different areas of their life. Yeah. Right? Like it might not actually be because like in the work life that he's a go, go, go guy, right? And that therefore his sex life is like that. Mm. It could just mean that like that's the way his sex life is. Like, And that's and so it, even, even in like maybe um, like chores right that's a that's something that gets brought up he he doesn't like he doesn't like being told what to do when he's doing chores but he likes it in the bedroom yeah that's interesting mm. <laughs> yeah yeah that is that is really really interesting um oh, i had this thought pop up while you were saying that that was so i've lost it what was i saying when when you had the thought I don't know that that it's so cool that you can like finding that balance is super super important um and, and balance isn't like 50 50 either it's not that I read a quote once which said um be, sex and the bedroom is not supposed to be egalitarian yes it's not supposed to be like you bring 50% dominance and I bring 50% dominance and that's balance. And, and nothing is egalitarian in yeah. like every, literally all of life. I, I think some of the issues that we, we see arising is like, we, especially with those strong movements. So we kind of got there with like the feminist movement is you, it's quite absolutist. Mm. And so if you keep pushing the movement forever, you end up at a point where you didn't actually intend to be because really you, you've achieved all the goals you probably wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And you should have just stopped. Mm. And you're like, yes, we get to vote. We get to work. We now have like the same um, value to the state um, as men do now and we can do all the things they can do now. And we That's- can pay as many taxes as they pay now. Oh, <laughs> right, there's downsides to it, yeah. of course, as well. But like you, you kind of you got everything you wanted and then you're like, oh, but now we're attacking men to to try and like have dominance over them now in some sense it's because like it just keeps a power going. Power control, yeah, yeah. Enough but it's it swings the other way. But what I, I had the thought come back. What I was going to say while you're talking there is, um, imagine the power and uh, you can give to your partner by realizing what things they really like having control over and you just being like, I'm going to support you in whatever that thing that you're super weirdly passionate about is, right? And so let's say one of you is the person who really likes the career they have and they're Mm. just driven. Imagine if instead of you going out, because you like maybe you are career driven too, I I find it always weird that two career driven people end up together unless they're working in the same like – industry i find it hard to see how they would eventually like keep that thing going for a long term Mm. but if one of you's like really career driven and one of you's like oh yeah i obviously like working but i'm actually doing it more for a safety standpoint Mm. but imagine if you could just be like i'm going to support my husband or my wife in their career as best as i possibly can just to see how far they can push it Mm. and then i'm just going to make everything else around their life a little bit easier for them so they can just go kill this thing Mm -hmm. they're probably going to end up so much further with you doing that than they would ever before. Mm -hmm. 
And that's so powerful in itself, but Mm -hmm. we kind of forget that in some sense. And and again, people are scared to do that because it means that, well, I'm making certain sacrifices in order for you to go ahead and and you may not even stay with me once you achieve that amazing goal. But you, you cannot think like that. Well, but the best part is, is the law will literally save your butt anyway if that person screws you over and you'll get half. Yeah, if you're married. Another reason why to get married. But you're, and you'll get half, right? Um, it just kind of sucks in some sense because that, that's the way the law is structured. Um, however, if you don't have this like supporting relationship, you're both going out doing your own thing. Um, you it has it, well it just doesn't really have the same benefit to you breaking it off you may as well not being together in the first place mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean it's funny because i feel like we are more appreciative of each other now that i've surrendered to doing technically being a housewife and also doing my own thing on the side but you know and and you doing the the crux of the financial load I appreciate you so much for like consistently going to work and being so willing to provide for us financially and you're so appreciative of me for the fact that you get to come home for the most part you get to relax after a hard day's work and that means and sacrifice is the word that I think a lot of people would use like we sacrifice a certain amount of money because technically I could be earning money if I went into a full-time job. But at the end of the day, like, what are we sacrificing? We get less money, sure, but we get more appreciation and love within our relationship. And more time together that's actually spent being together. Like, if we were both working full-time, we would get home and then we would have to do a million things before we got to spend time together. And then at the end of the day, too, what are we trying to uphold? If I'm to earn more money, why are we trying to earn more money? We're trying to get to a goal faster that we're going to get to that goal anyway, which is having a house. We're trying to uphold a certain lifestyle, which we don't actually need. Like, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong, um, you know, just talking about, you know, in a relationship where both people are working full time and they don't get to see each other a lot and the relationship kind of falls apart because they're trying to uphold a certain lifestyle. I want to have all these clothes. I want to have all these bags. I want to own that kind of car and I want to own this type of house with all these types of aesthetics. That's awesome. I understand the beauty of all of that. And you, But how can you create beauty in your life already? How can you already see the beauty of your life right now and all that it can provide you? And what are you working for? Because at the end of the day, if you're just working for a particular lifestyle or, you know, I want these kinds of tiles in my house, or I want that kind of facade, like it's not going to be enough to bring you joy the kind of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment you can get from the relationship that you have at your fingertips. Yeah. Oh, I agree with everything you just said then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, where that will kind of tie into, um, we were talking about body dysmorphia. Um, <laughs> it sounds like such a big jump from what... It is a, it is a jump in some sense. Um, but also with... The, the the chase of like going for those material items and the house and the cars and all those things. If you, again, like ask yourself the question, why do I want those things? Is it because you get so much enjoyment out of having them? Or is it the fact that you like knowing that other people know you have them? Ooh. 
right? Mm. And so this image that you think you're portraying out to the world is why you're pushing yourself to consistently do that. Like, how does it make you feel while driving your nice brand new Range Rover? Mm. Does it actually make you feel any better or does it make you feel better that other people know you're driving a Range Rover and the whole time you just think you're so cool, mm. right? Yeah, like it, that, it, it, and that wears off after a while too. A hundred percent. And it's just like the, it, it's a humility thing. Like how humble are you going to be? Like a, a, there's nothing more impressive and it, it's like super rich people. Not that like they have to do it all the time, but when you hear about those like multi-multi-millionaires or billionaires and they're just like they drive a Honda and you're like that's so humble in some sense. Oh, Adam Sandler, he just red carpet events, he just wears like a shirt and shorts. Because he knows what's like actually matters. Like what matters? Oh, I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. Why do I need to wear this uncomfortable suit where my nuts are just going to constantly be so annoyed the whole time I'm sitting through this terrible speech. I'm going to be sweating, yeah. Oh, it's the worst. Like, that's what grinds my gears about wearing, like, any kind of long pants. It's just how uncomfortable over time being seated as a man is in that mm. scenario. And it doesn't, like, I've I've experimented with different underwear and things like that, and it's just annoying. Like, you can't solve you can't that. escape it. You can't solve that problem unless you're wearing some real nice, like, just exercise fitness wear. But where you're going, this was, like, it's almost like enough is never enough and how that ties into how, how people feel about their bodies. So I had this revelation just the other day. Um, it's kind of like a, a bit of a, a connection of things that happened for me to get to that point. But I was at a um, a yeah. Christmas lunch, yeah, and we were, were talking about just how teenage boys uh, get so obsessive about um, getting stronger and, well, effectively, they don't even really care about getting stronger. They want to get bigger through um, their physique, which almost every single guy i'm sure can relate to at some point um either wanting to be what well, wanting to be probably more muscly i'm sure most people at least would relate to that um but it was interesting they were talking around the table and i was the reference point without me saying anything but i was the reference points in which they were like i wouldn't want to get any bigger than what Chaz is i think that's like the most attractive point you can get to and then once you push past that point you, once you get bigger you, you start getting almost too big and now it's kind of like almost like eh, yeah right but some people do enjoy past that as well um and i don't want to sound like i'm just boasting about myself either but it sent me down this train of thought um thinking about my own body image and i was working out just just yesterday afternoon and as i was working out i like i well, just before I worked out, I was just staring at myself in the mirror. And I was staring myself in the mirror out of out of any good lighting, just in like complete shadow kind of thing. But I was really looking at my body. And I normally like you just kind of catch yourself in the reflection. And like I always tend to have very good positive self-talk when I see myself in the mirror. But I just really just looked at myself for an extended period of time that I wouldn't normally do. And I, I had this moment where my almost vision changed. And for a second, it was almost like I removed a filter off my own reality. Mm. And I saw myself for the way other people probably see me. And I was like, oh, I am actually quite muscly. And I probably am perceived as like a 
quite a fit, muscly person. But mm. in my own head, I constantly am trying to attain being m- more muscly and more fit. And I just constantly see that. And even though I, I know for a fact and I, I don't have negative self-talk when I see myself, I still want this, this thing, right? And I don't, I, it's so weird to put it down to what that thing is. And I went, I went immediately to my, like my notepad and I started writing a reflection note. And I was like, I, I noted down, I was like, I just saw my own gender dysmorphia uh, because I... Like, body dysmorphia, body, not sorry. gender. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> body dysmorphia. <laughs> Whoa, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> no, I just saw my own body dysmorphia. And it was so weird because I literally saw my vision change. Mm. It wasn't that it was just like an idea clicked in my head. I've always known of this idea and I've always been conscious of the idea of it, but I've never actually seen my perception of myself literally change in the mirror. And it was so like oddly scary for a moment. I was like, oh no, do I have like, is this what realizing you have a mental health problem is Mm -hmm. in some sense? That's what immediately kicked through my head and I had like a slight bit of panic for a second. Um, And then also I was like, oh, but that's so cool to be aware of that as well um and so i wrote that down and then i wrote um but why do i actually care about what i look like and then the hard thing for me to write down next was which i kind of oddly knew instinctively was kind of right but the next thing i wrote down was um is it because i care about what everyone else perceives me as Mm. And that in in the crux of it, I knew when I wrote it down, I was like, I don't want to admit that to myself, but that is what it is. Mm. I care about how other people perceive me and I'm trying to appease their viewpoint Mm -hmm. of what they think a fit, muscly person is, Mm -hmm. which is like a weird, a weird thing to do because especially in today's culture, if you're on social media, that perception of what other people seem like they perceive as a fit person is changing so much and like Instagram and that makes it seem like doing steroids and getting absolutely yoked is the epitome of like male physique, Mm. which is unattainable if you're natural. Mm. Um, But I also like, I kind of like, I've unfortunately had that realization. I was like, no, you are fit and you are muscly. Mm. And I realized in myself, I probably don't want to get any larger than I already am. I think if I started to with the amount of basketball I play, I'd probably start to get sore in my joints from just being slightly bigger as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was like a nice moment where I was like, I kind of loved myself a little bit more in some sense as well. Um, and also, yeah, you also got to recognize that that's like almost like I'm 27 now. I started gymming when I was 14, mm. over 12 years when in in the making of like just or 13 years I should say in the making of getting to the point where I had that realization mm-hmm. which is also a crazy journey in itself as well yeah like 13 years of hitting the gym and like I don't think I've ever taken longer than a month off the gym mm-hmm. maybe and that would be like a long time maybe that I've done that like once maybe twice like even when I broke my leg and things like that I was still hitting the gym mm-hmm. all the time just pushing through because I was like motivated 
Now, that's not to say that there isn't a whole host of other extrinsic factors that are really positive to working out. And those things I also work out for. But now I don't really feel the need to work out for this image to others, Mm -hmm. which is like a nice kind of like weight off your shoulders. Oh, it's entirely freeing. But And it's really awesome that you came to that because a lot of people don't. I don't know if I've fully come to that realisation for myself yet. I have little flickers, like when I was working out in front of the TV the other day and the TV was off, and I'd been feeling a little like... I'd been feeling unfit because I hadn't been working out. And, like, working out is the evidence of being a fit person, right? And I just hadn't been working out for a bit. But I was I, – I did a squat and my arms were out and I saw the shape of my arms and I was like, oh, actually, judging by my arms, I'm quite a fit person. <laughs> <laughs> but I, have, I, I haven't had that full – or maybe I have and I'm just, like, appreciating – I just do appreciate my body for the most part, but it's a really big thing to come to. And I don't think a lot of people do Mm. come to that. And I think the people that don't care about that at all, I feel like there's, this is where I struggle a bit. And this could be a bit of my body dysmorphia coming through, but I feel like there's a, a spectrum, right? Like if you care too much about your appearance, then you care too much what other people think and you're working out too much to appease other people. And that's where you can like people become anorexic and, and, you know, really extreme mental health issues. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people that don't give a fuck about their, uh, what other people think of them and don't give a fuck about what they think about their own appearance and they get really sloppy. Mm. And it's not like that – and I don't just mean that in like exercise and fitness. I mean that in like even in appearance, like they don't look after themselves. So it, I re- I've come to realise everything is just a spectrum and we all just <laughs> sit somewhere on the spectrum, man. <laughs> so there's this real sweet point where it's like where you're doing it for yourself in a way that isn't for other people. And that's very hard because as humans, we do truly value others' opinions. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a very important safety mechanism for us to remain in the tribe, right? Mm-hmm. If you didn't value other people's opinions, like you're, you're very naive to think that other people's opinions of you doesn't matter because it does because if people don't like you, there's probably something you're doing that that is causing that problem, mm. right? So you, you, it is important to also recognize that other people's opinions of you does matter in some sense, but not to just be constantly focused on that as your your core thing that you're doing. Yeah. Um, but if you struggle to like make any kind of friends, like being socially accepted is so important for not being depressed. Yeah. Like if uh, isolation, COVID taught us all of that. Yeah. If you're, and it was like, it was obvious from before COVID even came around, but COVID was the perfect example of teaching us that, that if you isolate a whole bunch of human beings from each other, Mm -hmm. everyone gets super sad. And so social acceptance is vital to good mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, So in some sense, that's why it also has so much power. But the thing is, is, I think it didn't matter so much before social media, but now that social media is so strong, like before social media, it was just magazines, right? And everyone was always shitting on magazines, like Women's Weekly and like how to lose 10 pounds in three weeks. Like those kinds of things was what like PC culture would always attack. They're like, they're giving 
unrealistic ideas about what women should be. But now you're exposed to it 24-7 through Instagram. Mm. And people uh, have a like a, a much larger veil over their life with regards to self-image. Um, that is the extreme outliers a lot of the time. Like the people who are viewed the most tend to be a lot of the time because we're so biased to visual appearance and those apps, like you're seeing it, you don't necessarily get the context of a person's thought process or brains or who they are unless you're watching like long-form podcasts or something like that, mm-hmm. right? So all you're getting to judge people on is how they look. So what filters up to the top is how they look and they're probably going to be super attractive mm-hmm. and they're also probably going to be the extremes of the spectrum. They're going to be like really yoked or really fit or whatever it might be because those um, those people stand out mm-hmm. and so therefore they get the most following and then it, we get the most exposure to those people. Mm. And we all want to be liked by the person who's just oddly attractive at everything. Mm. Well, I guess, the yeah, the people that the rest of society is hyping up. It is, an, it is a natural thing to want to be like somebody else or to – like I was even thinking of that example like I watched that Wednesday TV show and the main actress is really pretty and there was – and I really love the character of Wednesday in that show and I was like – I found myself going like, oh, I wonder if I could pull off black hair, which I have done before and I know it could do it because my hair is practically black. But I was like it, – it, interesting, I observed that part of me that was like – Interesting that I want to have black hair because of this character that everyone on social media is hyping up and and it's very interesting but it does come back to the idea that we all do want to be liked and that there does have to be um, a part of us that does – to pretend that we don't care about or value others' opinions is to be completely neglectful of our needs as a human being. Um. It's, I had this thought come to me then. What's scary about having like social media stars or idols, especially for young people, is you're never getting the full scope of the person. Mm. Whereas if you have like a real life idol or someone to look up to in person, you tend to see them for all of their true colors. Mm. Not like you might not see all of it, but you'll get a much wider breadth. The best part about podcasting is it really exposes people for who they are because you're going to get so many different segments of them over a long um a long portion of time right yeah, and and so eventually you'll get to know how they think and what their mind is and so like podcast is a really beautiful thing in some sense because it's bringing back true role models mm-hmm. and people can go find an actual role model where someone can look up to them and genuinely know that this person's views are founded in sound thought and hopefully um, they have the best intentions of being good overall, um, which is which is cool. That's that's one of the the coolest things about podcasts. And I, I like like Jordan Peterson's like a big hero of mine. Um, and I just I love everything he has to say. But I've I've listened to so much stuff of his. Um, that it feels like I kind of know him as well, mm-hmm. um, and I ha- like I can actually look up to someone like mm-hmm. that. 
Whereas like if I was to just be following like someone like Dan Bilzerian, right? If I was an impressionable teenager and I was following that guy, like I remember, I remember when I was a teenager, when I first watched The Matrix, I wanted to be like Morpheus so bad. Oh, really? Like I just remember just being like Morpheus is so cool, (laughs) right? But he had like this really strong moral structure, Mm -hmm. yeah? And he was just such a cool character. And even like sometimes I would like even think like, I'm going to try and walk like him. Like, I went to that level. You know what I mean? When you're like yeah, a teenager and yeah. you're just so impressionable. Yeah. Um, but like imagine growing up now in a time where your idols are just like s- these snippets of just like this weird lifestyle. And a lot of the time, the value systems in those lifestyles that they're portraying isn't like it's greed. It's sexualized. It's, it's a. I, it's, yeah, it's. Yeah. <laughs> the dark stuff. <laughs> the the dark d- side. It's what I call distractions. They're all distractions from what's actually important in life. I saw one of my friends shared a, a post and it was, so there was like nine squares and it was like the truth of someone, which is like the, all, the, all the different squares or circles were coloured in, mm. different colours, and then it was what, what we see, which mm. is what just one of those circles, mm-hmm. like a yellow circle, and then what we assume, which mm. is just like the entirety of the square covered in yellow circles. Yeah. And it's like the snippet that we see of people is what we assume that that person is like. Uh-huh. And it kind of tied into what I felt like you were trying to say. We just assume. A great example is we just assume that a fit person is happy and healthy and ha- is confident and has all these things. Like a great example is looking at you. You are you are so fit. And I've said a key point to make is I've said this a million times before. I love the, the Chaz's body. I love his size. I think he's perfect. But he hasn't believed that for himself until recently. Um, I got distracted talking about your body. Don't objectify me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an object. <laughs> Equality, man. <laughs> um, no, I've completely if, forgot what I was saying. Um, well, can I just go on a slight tangent? Yeah. We're running out of time. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that you say that and the fact that I uh, don't particularly take on when you give me that praise. It doesn't mean as much to me. And we were discussing that why that doesn't mean as much to me compared to when like someone completely like external to us or on the periphery gives me like a compliment about, hey man, you look you're looking really good. Have you been hitting the gym a lot lately? Like that compliment just hits so hard from some like random, mm. right? And and we were kind of I was like, why why doesn't that? Because you're like obviously the closest person to me in my life, and your opinion should be um, at the highest of values. To me, mm-hmm. right? And so I came to the viewpoint of when you're with someone for so long, you almost have this hive mind mentality and you almost become one person. And so because I'm, I know how Ashley thinks and she knows how I think, it, oddly, I almost don't separate herself from my own entity. And so when she gives me praise, I take it on the same way I would give praise to myself. And I like... Oddly, a lot of the time, people are their own harshest critic. And because I consider you as almost like part of me and me as part of you, Mm. 
it doesn't hit the same. Yeah. Which is so weird. And it was like a, such a cool revelation I had about relationships. It was like, oh my God, we're like one being. But it also just made me kind of like more excited to, to hang out with you because I was like, I get to hang out kind of like with my own mind a bit. Yeah. In some sense. But you, you know, and I, I kind of think of it as the thought the thought in your head, that thing that you talk to yourself with, the thing that you can bounce ideas off with. Mm-hmm. Ashley's kind of also like another thought that I can bounce off with mm. in my own head because I'm around you so much. You're kind of like my other voice brain. Mm. And so, yeah, think of it like this is where I take it a little bit further. I even consider it um, with relation to let's say I'm about to like do something um, silly that was like, oh, I probably shouldn't do this. In the back of my mind, I'd probably have like, I don't think Ashley would approve of me doing this, right? Yeah. And so without you even being there, you know, I like it's like you're in my head. Yeah. And so that's that hive mind thing. Yeah. It's so cool. It is. Uh, Yeah. I I don't know. Yeah. Because that's where I did want to go eventually was like we have the same mind. And I say symbiosis. Um, (laughs) I just love saying that word and saying it like Symbiosis. But where I, I remember where I was going, it was that just because you see someone who's really fit, you can't just assume that they're confident and they're happy with their body. Like, I think, and that relates back to the social media and seeing these these fitness idols. You have no idea what's going on in their internal world. Mm. And you may see all these people, you may even be jealous of this person but it's really like, would you really actually want to walk in their shoes? Because you have no idea what's actually going on inside. Yeah. Um, yeah, they might be like this badass or they might have this huge exterior to protect like what was like a real damaged interior. Insecurity, Because yeah. like maybe they were bullied when growing up and they just wanted to get absolutely yoked so no one could mess with them ever again. Mm-hmm. That's definitely that that occurs as well. I don't want people to think that I also beat myself up mentally with regards to how I look because I actually have like pretty good self-esteem i think yeah i think this this like issue is something that was very small but it was habitual like it and it was it was it's it was so hidden almost in your subconscious you almost didn't know it was there yeah blew my mind when i realized it because i was like oh what i thought i avoided this like i didn't think this was like a thing for me and i think that's true for a lot of men Mm. i think women we've you know, we have grown up in a time for many years where we've been told, like, this is what, like, the perfect woman looks like. And so we're also very aware of our own body dysmorphia. We're also very aware of, like, when we're, like, not eating so that we can look a certain way or we're, I, I feel like women are very aware of that and I just think men aren't yeah. or haven't been. And so that's why I think it's so cool you came to that realisation. That was awesome. Great podcast. Agreed. Uh, it was, it's been too long. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to get back into the swing of things. I agree. Um, and also maybe we announced that like I'm also going to be doing some odd podcasts with a friend or two as well and acting like a bit of a second host to this podcast mm-hmm. as well. Co-host. Co-host. Talk about codependence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was really fun, Bubba. I agree. Yay. Bye.